Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Today and next Sunday, well, this, you know, this is February, Valentine's and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, so today and next Sunday, I'm going to talk about relationships. And today I'm, I'm going to begin with kind of an, an overview or maybe a big picture. And then next week, I'm going to get into some nitty gritty stuff. And um, I hope that I will say some things you know, that, that challenge you and, and cause, you to, cause you to think. Now, before we get started, I, I would like to pray uh, just so that as much as is, is possible, I, I want God to be the one that guides this and, and not just words coming from me. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I first of all come to just give you honor and glory and praise. And Father, I thank you for the gift of love. And I, I thank you for the gift of companionship and, and relationships. But Lord, because we're sinners, we can really, really mess these things up. And I just pray that today as I speak, what people will hear will be your message and not mine. I pray for the movement of your Holy Spirit in our midst. I, I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I fall short. And Lord, no one needs to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so I just pray that, again, through the, the power and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you will be heard today and that you will be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, we have what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, or at least a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." What Jesus is doing as he teaches is he is trying to help the people understand the, the kingdom of God and more importantly, the fact that he is the Messiah and he is establishing that what they have always understood, the Old Testament, uh, the, the law, all of that was something that he was not getting rid of. In fact, what he was doing was saying the standard is so high that you're you're not living up to the standard. 
He went even a step further and says, my expectation for is, is even higher than what you understand. Verse 20, he says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees were considered the most righteous people in Jewish society. Uh, and, and so what he's saying is, you think the Pharisees are, are really living something special. What I'm telling you is the expectation is actually even higher than that. Now, the reality was, even though the scribes and the Pharisees claimed to be the upholders of the law, the truth was that they themselves had twisted the law of Moses. And they had, they had kind of warped it and, and, and messed with it so that it would fit the lifestyle that they wanted to live. And they weren't really trying to be obedient to God. They were just trying to put on the appearance that that's what they were doing. Now, it's hard for the people to understand how Jesus is setting this expectation up. And so from verse in chapter five, verses 21, all the way through 48, he's giving them illustration after illustration on how they fall short and where the expectation really is. Now, again, what the Jews were doing then and what we still do today, we're, we're being honest here, is warping and twisting the Bible to suit themselves. They're, they're, they're creating their own standards. You know, they're, they're looking around and saying, well, I'm living better than this guy, so I must be OK. Or, you know. As long as I as long as I go to church, I can do what I want. Or as long as I throw a tithe in, I can do what I want because, well, I'm doing what what good enough to make God happy. What Jesus is saying is, no, the standard is so high, you cannot meet the standard. And, you know, you're you're falling short. And and for them in their society, he's saying, you know, unless you're living better than the Pharisees, you're, you're not even you're not even in the conversation. So when he comes to verses 27 through 30, he's giving an illustration of how the the standard had been lowered. And and what again, what he's doing and, and what the, I'm hoping we accomplish here today is if anyone is feeling kind of self-righteous, like I'm I'm good enough. I, what I'm doing is fine. What Jesus is wanting to accomplish is for you to understand. No, you're not. You are falling short. In verse 27, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. He says, you, you've heard that. that and, and what they had been taught is as long as you didn't engage in the actual act of adultery, you were fine. But then in verse 28, Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is telling them is your standard is too easy. It's, it's too low. I'm reestablishing what God intended. Now, he doesn't just doesn't just leave it there. He he adds a point to it. In verse 29, he says, so 
If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, you're better off gouging your eye out. You're, you know, you're, you're better off cutting your hand off. Now, what we need to be hearing is God hates sin. You know, we kind of make sin, eh, it's not that bad, you know. It was only a little white lie. Or since we're dealing with the, the topic of adultery here, you know, I, I just looked. I didn't touch. I, you know, there's no, no foul there. Well, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, there is a foul. And I hate sin so much that you would be better tearing your eye out, better cutting your hand off than crossing that line line. You see, the sin is in the heart. It's not in the act. So he's using adultery as an example. Why does he choose adultery? Because we're all guilty. We all get pulled into to thinking these thoughts that that we have no business thinking. And, and again, what he's doing is he's trying to strip away all of the self-righteous attitudes that that people have where they're thinking, I, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm certainly better than these people around me. And and I've never done the act. And so I'm fine now. Before this, in, back in verses 21 and 22, he used the example of murder. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not kill. But then he says, whoever, but I say, whoever is angry with your brother is in danger of hell. You know, it, it's not the, whether you've committed the actual act of murder. It's what, what's going on in your heart. You know, you're not righteous before God based on your actions. Whether you're righteous or not before God is is found in your heart. And he's trying to show them how sinful they really are. You know, no, no matter what your outside behavior looks like, it's what's going on inside that God is looking at. You know, and so for the people that were sitting on that hillside in Galilee, or for that matter, us today, Jesus is confronting them. He's confronting us about the sin that we have in our hearts. Jesus wants to go right to the heart. Anybody who looks with lust has committed adultery. And, and that's a tremendous statement for us living in our, our society today. You know, certainly temptation is everywhere we look. Intimacy in marriage between a man and a woman is how God designed it. And it's meant to be a very personal experience. You know, it's not supposed to be something that's plastered all over billboards or depicted in movies. You know, it's supposed to be private and intimate and special between a husband and his wife, you know, and, and because sex has been separated from love and intimacy in marriage, you know, the, the result is that we have divorce, we have infidelity, we have perversion that, that is just beyond belief, you know, monogamous 
heterosexual marriage is viewed as, as obsolete, that, that you're old fashioned. You know, faithfulness is laughed at. It's ridiculed. It's mocked. You know, there is something wrong with us. You know, the human obsession with perversion is, is rampant. And something deep down inside of us is sick. You know, we need to understand that. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And one of the things that he is addressing is their preoccupation with sex. You know, it, it could certainly be written for us today. In 1 Corinthians 6.13, he says, Food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. And this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Our bodies are not supposed to be used for sexual deviance. You know, we are not animals, regardless of what the evolutionists say. We are not animals who just follow around for our basic and, and fulfill our basic urges. You know, we are spiritual. We are made in the image of God. In verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Don't you know that the one who's joined to a prostitute becomes one body? And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So if you go to a prostitute, you enter into an adulterous situation, you join the Lord to sin. Now, again, there's probably some people who are sitting here right now saying, well, I've never been to a prostitute, so this doesn't apply to me. If you've thought it, you know, if you've looked at, you know, pretty woman walking down the street, you know, if you're doing that, you're sinning. You know, that's what this is telling us. In verse 18, Paul says, flee fornication. Well, fornication, that word in Greek is pornea, where we get our word pornography. What Paul is saying is stay away from evil sexual behavior. You know, this is a sick view of how our, our bodies are, are, are used, you know, and, and because of this, this filth that, that we allow into our lives, homes are shattered, ruined, you know, families get destroyed. Uh, you know, it's even destroying the ability. If a person gives themselves into it, 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 it warps the person so much that they can't get right. I remember a number of years ago, uh, James Dobson, who was the founder of Focus on the Family, did an interview with a serial killer. And in his interview, in his conversation with this serial killer, the guy got started by looking at porn. You know, and, and that led to one thing to the next to the next. And it just led him to become this very evil person who who went about killing. 
You know, I, I, am I saying everybody that's ever looked at porn is going to become a, a serial killer? No, but you're opening yourself up to, to the devil's area when you allow your mind to go to places that it has no business going to. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3, Paul says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. In other words, he's saying, in the context of marriage, you have every right to be intimate with each other. But outside of marriage, it has no place. Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own well. Share your love with only your wife. Again, enjoy the marriage situation, but stay away from ungodly relationships. Sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, same sex, all of those are sin. They're wrong. They have no business in existence. Now, the religious leaders thought that since they didn't physically act out this adulterous affair, they're, they're fine. And, and, and again, maybe you're thinking in your mind, oh, I, I didn't actually sleep with the person. I just thought about it. Or, you know, I, I just lusted a little bit. There's no foul there. Yeah, there is. You know, Jesus says, if we cross the line, if we think it, we've done it. And that's that's the point here. We don't have the freedom of allowing ourselves because, again, we're not animals. You know, and, and the implication in verses 29 and 30 is trying to live the law where you're basically saying, as long as I obey the letter of the law, I'm fine. No, it's the intention of the law. You know, we cannot help ourselves. This is something that we need to understand. And this is what Jesus is driving home. We are hopeless. We are helpless and we are powerless. And what we should be understanding is that when we look and we lust and we do all of these things, we should we should recognize that we're sinning. And when we're sinning, we should be turning to God and saying, God, I'm I'm doing this and I I'm wrong for it. And I I, I don't want to be that person. <clears throat> you know, at the beginning of verse 27, Jesus says, you have heard it said. And then at the end uh, and then he says, but I say in verse 28, this contrast is very important. What he's doing is he's pointing to their misunderstanding of how they're they're looking at the law. You've heard it said from the rabbis, from the scribes, from the Pharisees, you know, in our society today, you've heard it said from society. You've heard it said from uh, maybe some some liberal preachers that what you're doing you know, that you should just obey the, the, the letter of the law. But I'm telling you, and you know what Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth about this. You have been told what's not right. And I'm now telling you this is what the standard is. Remember, Jesus called the religious leaders blind guides and and hypocrites. This is why. 
because on the outside they were you know, they were looking all righteous and they were telling the people, all you have to do is obey the letter of the law. And what Jesus is saying, no, you are misleading the people. People, you know, we're pretty creative and we will invent situation, you know, any system that we can that will make us feel like we're doing what we're supposed to. And we can even convince ourselves that we're somehow righteous, even though we're not. And what Jesus is doing is pulling the rug out and saying, you are not living to the standard. And again, the whole point is to make us realize we are powerless. When God said, or you know, when Jesus said, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit adultery, he's talking more about just the, the, than just the deed, just the act. He's talking about what's going on in our hearts. Remember, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. Well, when Jesus said that, when he was asked, what is the great commandment? Deuteronomy six is where you find that. And this is what, what I'm about to tell you is really important. The key to the entire Bible, the key to the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6, 5. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. And the follow up is love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two things and if you can understand those two things, you have just summed up the entire Bible. You know, most people, when they look at the Old Testament, they were like, well, it's all about the law, a bunch of don'ts, you know, don't do this, don't do that. that you know, that, that's what they think the Old Testament is about. But what the Old Testament really is about is love. Love the Lord your God. That's, that's the summation of the Bible. You know, what God has been saying since Adam is, I want you to love me and I love you. I want your, I want your heartfelt commitment. I want your devotion to me. I want a relationship with you. That's the point of the entire Bible. You know, before God gave the law, before he gave the Ten Commandments, he established a relationship with Israel. You know, he first loved Israel. And because he loved Israel, he called Israel out of Egypt. And it was after he saved Israel, after he redeemed Israel, it was only after that that he established the law saying, here's how you are to, how to act. You know, don't kill, love God, don't commit adultery, you know, don't, don't, sacrifice to anything other than me. You know, the, he established the, these parameters of his relationship. Now, that should sound familiar because if you go to the New Testament, God does the same thing. If you read the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Paul, the gospel of Peter, the gospel of James, the gospel of John, they all say the same thing. We love God because he first loved us. So 
God loved Israel. God loves us. That's how it began. God redeemed Israel. God redeems us. We first have a relationship with God. And based on that relationship, then we become obedient to God. I told the folks in the first service, it, it's like marriage. You know, I love Cindy. And so now I'm obedient to her, right? I do whatever she tells me. Now, love God and do what he says. That's the relationship. In fact, in 1 John, it, we're even told that if you say you love God, but you don't obey him, you're a liar. You know, and, and so love comes first and then the obedience. It's a relationship. In Deuteronomy 6 uh, verse 19, he puts in that second dimension. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the sum of the whole Old Testament, the sum of the whole New Testament, love God, love your neighbor. And Love in this context is not talking about romantic love. It's it's that perfect love, agape love, which is loving people in a way that you're doing what is best for them. God's concern is always the attitude of our heart. The attitude of our heart produces actions. Actions doesn't produce a heart. And, and so God is wanting this relationship to us that is with us, that is based on love. And what happens is you come to this place of you say, I can't keep this standard. You know, God, God's relationship is, is so high that I can't keep it. And what happens is you become guilty Remember going back even to the beginning of the Beatitudes, he says, you know, if, if you if you grieve over your sin, if, if you grieve, you will be comforted. If you know, if you're humble, you're going to inherit the earth. You know, he again, he's talking about we come to God and we we say, I can't live up to this standard. I'm a broken person. I'm a sinful person. And so, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to serve you. I want to live for you, but I fall short. And God says, that's right. So what do we do? Well, in the Old Testament, they would offer a sacrifice. They would come and they would kill a lamb or a, a goat or a bull, but they would offer a sacrifice as a way of saying, I'm sorry that I sinned God. And the problem was when they did those sacrifices, if you just did your sacrifice and you asked for forgiveness and then on the way out, you stubbed your toe because everybody wore sandals, right? So you stubbed your toe and you're going, ah, and then all of a sudden you start cursing and, you know, what you just blew it. Right. And now it's like, ah, do I, I guess I got to go back in and offer another sacrifice. Well, it didn't work. It wasn't supposed to work. It was supposed to frustrate so that people would come to God and say, God, I can't deal with this. I need something to fix. And God 
was building people to understand that they had to find a savior. The whole Old Testament was to frustrate, to show a person that they couldn't save themselves. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the Lamb of God. I am the one that is going to be the ultimate perfect sacrifice. But don't forget, salvation and redemption come through our belief in Jesus. We cannot be good enough to become saved. That's what the people of Israel were trying to do, and they were failing. Let's don't try to do that either. The Ten Commandments are a list of how God, how we're supposed to love God and how we're supposed to love each other. You know, adultery, when we commit adultery, what we're doing is we are not, as, as bizarre as this sounds, we are not loving our neighbor. All we're doing is satisfying our own sinful desires. Adultery isn't about love. It's about selfishness. It's about sin. And so when, when we are outside of the will of God, we're, we're really just men, you know, giving ourselves what we want. The law is about how to love God and how to love our neighbor. And how do we show that? By being loyal, by being faithful, by being reverent, by being set apart. It shows that our, our, our attitude is right with God and our attitude is right with other people. You know, again, the sad thing with the Israelites is all they were wanting to focus on is the external. And we do that too. We, you know, we, we pretend everything is fine. We pretend that we're right with God. But the reality is, is that we're not. And so our responsibility is to come to God and allow Jesus to change us from the inside out. But again, we're never going to be perfectly right with God. Not in this side of eternity. You know, I, there is no perfect person walking in the face of the thirst. The Apostle Paul said, I am the worst sinner that there ever was. So in Matthew 5, 27, he says, you have heard them say you should not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you're lusting in your heart, you're guilty. Because it's the attitude of our heart that God is looking at. You know, their, their tradition had corrupted God's purpose for a relationship. And so we need to, to recognize this. The writer of Hebrews says, by one offering, he, that's Jesus, perfected forever them that are sanctified. Right in Hebrews, it also says, he did what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. Take away sin. So here's, here's what we need to understand. Christ died 2,000 plus years ago, and yet his sacrifice is still applicable to us today. If we believe him and if we accept him, Jesus still wants us to be forced to a point of frustration uh, where we, we say, I can't do this. I, I fall short. I want to live a pure life. I want to live a holy life. I want to live a godly life, but I can't because I am a sinner. 
And so what do we do? We run to God for mercy and his grace who, you know, God alone can grant us the righteousness. We, we sang about it this morning. We're not my, made righteous because of what we've done. We're made righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. Please hear that and understand that. You can, you can work hard all your life trying to be good enough and you will never make it. It is only when you come to the end of yourself and say, I can't do it. I am relying on Jesus Christ and what he did for me. Then you will be saved. It's the inner attitude. It's our heart that matters. The name John Newton should be real familiar to most of us. John Newton was um, a slave trader who became, became aware of the wretchedness of his life. And he got saved and he became a follower of Christ and he devoted the rest of his life to serving God. Um, the song Amazing Grace was written by John Newton. And when John Newton had gotten really old, his memory was gone and he had had to quit preaching and, and quit speaking publicly because he just his, his memory was gone. He had uh, dementia by by our terms today. But here's this wonderful quote from from him as as he's going through this. He says, it seems as though there are only two things that I can remember. One is that I am a great sinner. And the second is that Jesus Christ is a greater savior. And that's the issue. I don't care how bad a person you are, how great a sinner any of us is, Jesus Christ is a greater savior. Are you trusting him for your salvation rather than you trying to live up to some expectation that you think is good enough? We are all great sinners, but Jesus is a greater savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this this word that you have given us. Thank you for your teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And Father, I especially want to bring up just the whole struggle with sexual sin. It is truly ruining lives. I, I, only you know how many people are continually affected by this sin that we allow so easily into our lives. Lord, I, I pray that today there will be true conviction and repentance for this issue that, that we have allowed into our, our lives. Lord, I, it would be absolutely naive to think that there is no sin like that going on in the midst of this congregation. Lord, I pray for conviction and I pray for heartfelt repentance that people who are dealing with this would be able to come to you and say, I can't fix this.
I'm turning it over to you. I'm trusting you to become my righteousness because I have no self-righteousness. And Lord, for those who are hanging on to self-righteousness because they've, they've been hanging on to it for, for probably the better part of their lives, please help them to see, expose them so that they quit relying on something that won't help. Jesus, we need you. I need you. You know, the, the truth is that if we're being honest, each and every one of us is an absolute train wreck. Each and every one of us is a mess. And I just pray for transformation. I pray that each of us will allow you to have full access to our lives, to change us from the inside. Thank you. And I pray all of this so that you will be glorified in Jesus' name, amen.